Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I was, I was standing in the dairy and you were on the phone to me and I was like trying to calm you down and not sound um, worried. And then I hung up on you and I was just shaking. And I was literally like shaking in the dairy being like, okay, her, her mum's about to die and yeah. um, I literally can't get to the country. Zach's in London. Yeah. And on the phone to you, I was like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And then I, and I was shaking and I yeah. had to like walk outside and just take it. I was like... This is so fucking insane. It was so fucked. We were just having a conversation before we started recording about how I'm like just having a bit of a sad few weeks and how I think it's like belated from like the stress or PTSD or whatever from like going through what happened with my mum. Because I feel like even in the podcast episode, it probably didn't quite come across how intense it was. Serious it was. Like mm-hmm. it was like um, she had to have like life threatening brain surgery, and we had like a neurosurgeons coming in saying you know, we need to operate in five hours because if not, you know, she might die and like um, being in the ICU for days on end and just seeing your like parent in pain like that. And it's just hectic. And at the time I was so... But it's because at the time all you're focused on is what you have to do. Yeah. So at the time you're like, okay, I'm waking up this morning. I've got to get to the hospital by this time. We're meeting the surgeon at this time. You're trying to calm her down as well. So you were trying to calm her down. Yeah, you're, you're- acting like a parent... To your parent, which yeah. is so weird. Yeah, you and can't be freaked out. <laughs> you're calling me because Zach was asleep in London. Yeah, so you'd call me yeah. hysteri- hysterical, mm. and I would calm you down, mm-hmm. and then I'd get off the phone to you, and I would be freaking the fuck out, being like, "This." It just got worse and worse. It just like, it was kept getting, getting worse, worse and worse. And worse. So she, I can't remember if we explained it properly, but Coral had. Um, I mean, you know, 
obviously better than me, but it was supposed to be a routine, like pretty chill surgery, but no, I guess no brain surgery is that chill. Yeah, chill on the spectrum of brain surgery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she was just supposed to have a six-week recovery time, so Grace was flying home for that, and you found out really, really, like, hectically. You basically last called, minute, yeah, yeah, very last minute. You called me and you were like, I'm getting on a, should I get on a plane next week? I was like, just get on a fucking plane. Mm. And then there were complications in that surgery, which led for her to have a very, very intense second surgery, and that mm. was when... Uh, it was so touch and go. That weekend, I was just like, "Yeah, oh my God. And they let us, it was stuff like they let us into the ICU and she'd just come out of the surgery and she was like was screaming in pain, like hysterical, like trying to pull her head bandage off and shit. Like it's just, it's very intense thing to see. And I have a younger brother and it's another thing when your parents are divorced where my dad is in England. So it's, you, you, I think about um, yeah, like Zach's parents, for example. To- yeah, if my if my if Zach's parents, one of Zach's parents, God forbid, got sick, at least you know there's someone there twenty four seven looking after them. Mm. Whereas that wasn't the case, so it was just hard, and I, I think I just didn't process any of it at the time. And and it's a combination of things. It's also pandemic. Parents <laughs> getting um, sick is happening a lot more now. Mm. I'm realizing, and it's just really it's scary. One of my really good friends' mum's really ill. Um, another friend's mum recently passed away. Uh, your yeah. mum was really sick this year. It's really scary. And then I think that as well freaks you out because we're all the way on the other side of the world. Yeah, now. exactly. And now it feels even harder than ever to get back. Um, and it's just this whole year. It's just funny because it just seems like boring and banal to talk about how this year is crazy because it just is and we all know it. But I mean, you really stop to think about how insane it is that by the time my brother connects to my dad, it will likely have been two years. It'll be nearly two years by the time Zach's likely able to see his parents again. It's, you know what, like Mm. that in itself is fucking crazy. I know. But we all just have to be like plodding along. I think that's the hardest part about it is, the hardest part about it is everyone's going through, Mm. everyone's going through this fucked pandemic together. So then you think that any of your personal experiences aren't really valid because everyone's feeling Mm -hmm. it. But it's like, but then your experience on top of the pandemic and even like to a lesser extent, my experience in terms of the pandemic happening when I was homeless and depressed. And actually socially depressed. Yeah, clinically depressed. depressed. (laughs) (laughs) And then in the depths of winter and like, and then we both lost our jobs. Mm. That's what I mean. The magazines I worked, the magazine I worked for as like my income closed the week my mum went into hospital. <laughs> I yeah. only thought about that recently. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a lot to happen. You know, if, if you, we told ourselves a year ago, okay, so you're going to move overseas and there's <laughs> going to be this full blown global pandemic and you're going to be stuck in a house for four months. And then as soon as it's summer again in the UK, your mum's going to have to have brain surgery. She's going to have to fly home. That's going to be full of complications. She's going to nearly die. And then you're going to be in hospital all day, every day for six weeks. And then you're going to come lose back to job. England. <laughs> yeah. While you're there, you're going to lose your job, your dream job that you worked like 10 years to get. This is gone. Um, and, and then, like money stress then yeah money yeah. i mean we're so we've we're been so so lucky yeah ob- yeah obviously we're like pod thank fuck for the podcast thank, thank fuck for our um industrious minds thank fuck for all of you up upskilling um but yeah and yeah it's just um it's just it's crazy. a lot yeah. yeah so basically i just came around we're drinking um gin martinis dirty martinis currently mm. and sipping on them because i came around and 
I'm not used to seeing you down. Mm. It's been a big me down for like year, <laughs> the past year, and now I'm finally coming out of it. And um, on Friday, it was Grace's, so it was Grace's birthday on Wednesday, and we had the fucking cutest little day out. We went to Duck and Waffle, which is this really chic restaurant, and then we went to the Barbican, which is this cool um, space that has exhibitions and all that sort of stuff. Oh, it was and such then, a nice day. It was so cute. And then fr- and I bought Grace these glasses that we're drinking out of that she has somehow managed to not smash yet. I, I don't know how I've done oh, it. I must that? have just not. But the minute I arrived at your house on Friday, you spilt champagne everywhere out of it. Did I? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, on Friday, I came round and we were going to have this cute little dinner date and go out for dinner and drinks. And Grace was just in this funk and in this horrible yeah. mood. And I've, I've never really seen you like that. And I'm not like, um, I think it's the Englishness in my family where we, I don't really, it's not even like I'm hiding how I'm feeling. I'm just not particularly in tune with it. Or I just, Mm. I I just think it'll pass and don't talk that much about it. I don't tend to cry or. um, Whereas I'm the opposite. Yeah. There's something I've noticed in my family because my family is very English, very, I don't want to, it's not uptight. It's just, it's not an overly emotional family. Mm -hmm. Um, and we all just cry really heavily in movies and it's kind of like our release to get through things. And I'm trying to, oh, I watched, oh, this is actually a really good old movie recommendation. I made Zach watch it on my birthday. It's called A Royal Affair. It's Alicia Vikander's first movie. It's like a full period drama love story, but it's really, really good. I love period drama love story. Yeah, it's it's one of the best ones. We have to watch it, but you'll get, you'll get bored because it's, um, got subtitles. (laughs) Um... It's called A Royal Affair. A Royal Affair. Me? Can't even listen to you in our own podcast. Yeah, for- can't even listen to me finishing this story about the movie. You're like, let's watch this two and a half hour Danish <laughs> film. Um, but anyway, I like full, I had like a big cry in that. And that's how I get all my emotions out. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot. And now, so basically we're going into another full lockdown on Thursday, um, which will be our first, my first lockdown in the UK. I did one in New Zealand. That's right. But I haven't done one here yet. And it's obviously coming into winter. So it's 4pm now and the sun's setting. Yes. <laughs> um, outside the window. <laughs> the but sun comes it'll up be, at 8. It'll be dark yeah. here before we finish, well, obviously before mm. we finish recording this episode within like 10 minutes. And then you can't leave your house. Obviously, I know everyone's done it before. Melbourne just got out of it. But it it feels never ending kind of over here. Like you, you I'm just like, yeah. I'm sick of it now. I'm so fucking sick so of it. So sick of it. And another thing we were talking about before, which is something that I spoke to our friend, friend of the pod, Kate Lancaster, about um, when she was in Melbourne, where she said that there's something about being inside when other parts of the world are outside, where it makes you feel really, really... Um, like stagnated with work and I think that's something that we've been really struggling with is that we're both very ambitious and we're both very usually very excited by unmotivated by work and because every time we get to a point of planning something yeah. there's another fucking lockdown yeah. there's another restriction on things there's something happening the situation in America is crazy so things that we would have planned with talent in America drops off mm. a cliff. You know what I mean? With like big things that would happen normally that we're excited about. There's a lot of like stopping and starting and stagnating. And then you can see, I was I was talking to Kate about the fact that like Instagram and social media and other people's achievements feel like a slap in the face now yeah, that's been, yeah, that's in a way been... that they never used to because we're literally physically prevented from doing stuff. That's been a, uh, a massive thing for me as well, where 
I never used to feel, I didn't, I mean, I always used to look at other people's work, especially in our careers and be like, oh, that's cool that they're writing for this place. But it never felt like it was an, a, an, a, like personal affront, affront to yeah, me, yeah. whereas now it does, which is so fucked because yeah. it's also like, I feel so overwhelmed constantly or I feel, I feel just like tired all the time Yeah, and tired all the time and unmotivated and not creative at all. I feel like I, I feel like I literally, I'm like, I don't even know what I want to fucking write about. Yeah, exactly. And it's also um, like that thing where I feel like we're in an awkward situation at the moment. This is what we're talking about is that in any other situation during a global recession, you would not boast about your career achievements online to your friends because that's not nice to do when yeah. everyone's going through, when everyone's losing their jobs when people are struggling to find work, it's not nice to put all over social media that you're achieving things or that you've got a commission or whatever. But the inverse thing in journalism specifically is that you get work through what you post online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's you're not posting to social media in terms of you posting to your friends. You're posting to social media in terms of you creating a digital resume in the hope that it'll get you more work. So that's almost ramped up. Because people are freaking out about freelance work. And so then it just feels like everyone's kind of grossly humble bragging or whatever. But it's also just everyone wanting (laughs) to get stuff. Yeah. It's hard. I need another martini. Mm. I'm going to be so drunk. (laughs) Okay, let's be fun again. Um, Let's be fun again because we're on our second martini. Woo! So party. Party, party. What? Your your birthday party? My party, yeah. Yeah, that... What is that noise? <laughs> what? Is it someone, someone chopping something or something? It's like a saw. What is it? I've cut myself. Um, apologies about that fucked noise. <laughs> <laughs> I cut my hair making the martini. Hmm. Um, I'm very concerned. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Friday night was so fun. We went on a little double date to a cute restaurant in Notting Hill. Yeah. And then we both, we all of us came back to Grace's and um, drank dirty martinis and champagne and danced. Fuck off. <laughs> Are you serious? Are these your like, stupid Australian neighbours? I'm going to bang on the door. I don't even know what which was direction guy's, it's what was coming guy's from. Name? Scream at him. Ed? Ed or something. Was it Ed? I don't know. We just went outside and had a ciggy and we're talking to the neighbour, but he was on a work call. I was like, hi, I'm Grace. He was like, I'm on a work call. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was really nice. Um, um, and then... Yeah, then we came back here and we played um, Madonna songs and Cher, yeah. Janet Jackson, ABBA, mm-hmm. and drank lots of champagne. It was really fun. Yeah. I really stretched out my birthday like announcements on Instagram. Like I felt quite guilty because I like posted like a thing being like, oh, it's my birthday. It's like a joke. And then I posted the cake. And the next day I posted the dress. So I just have been getting an influx. It's been like a Kendall Jenner extravaganza over five (laughs) days. (laughs) And yes, Grace matched her birthday Prada dress to her cake, Mm -hmm. which is the most extra thing I've ever seen. I don't normally do like extra birthdays. And I don't know why this year because I was in the lockdown spirit yeah i was like i'm gonna have a nice dress and a nice yeah cake. and um it was the first time grace has met um a boy i've been dating since i got to london and um are we talking about <laughs> fuck i'm a bit drunk are. who cares he's banned from listening to the podcast so he'll never know <laughs> um and 
Who's very lovely. Yeah, but it was the first time Grace had met him and she rocks up in this sparkly Prada dress <laughs> and heels. And he was like, I'm obsessed with her. <laughs> and we just had like the funniest night. And when we came back to the house, we lit up a cigarette in the house. And Zach was like, what are you doing? And I was like, babe, I do this all the time. <laughs> I was like, I do this all the time. Whenever we do it you're every, not here, we do it every week. Every he was Monday. Like, what the fuck? Every Monday when we're recording the podcast, we're smoking ciggies inside Zach. And yeah, he was like freaking out. It was so <laughs> funny. I had no idea. He didn't know. Um, yeah, that was so, so, so fun. It was a very fun night. And um, yeah. When we were at the pub, so we went, so London, everything closes at 10 now. So we went to dinner, then we went to a pub. I went and I went into the bathroom and this girl just turns around and goes, wow <laughs> so I, was like, yeah. I was like i know i know i was like it's my birthday she was like have a nice birthday she was like i haven't seen anyone get dressed up in months <laughs> yeah it was so fucking cute and mm. um yeah we had the funnest night and it's funny as well because um the boy i'm dating works in music and so, and then zach was like what record should we put on and then grace was like get out of the fucking way zach. Like, <laughs> we're putting on madonna we're not putting on Unless any it's the greatest hits of ABBA, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, no records, Zach. And Zach was just ban- banished to the corner while the I three know. of us like danced around to fucking tattoo. The boys' taste in music is too, de- too developed. Yes. Yeah. For our taste. For our taste. I know. Like, what about this ambient record? I was like, no. And I feel like we were playing um, the cardigans. Like, love me, love me. Yeah, great, like... Great, tunes. Tune. Great choice. Great I must say I'm disappointed you didn't get me a hologram of my father. He was alive. He's but... alive, yeah. <laughs> I'll get you a hologram of my dead stepdad. I'll get you one. Okay, <laughs> one next of my birthday. Dead stepdad. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kanye West. So the hologram idea is like fucking random. Okay, so Zach literally like rolled over, which is so random because he's not interested in the Kardashians and was like, you have to watch this like first thing in the morning <laughs> and just put this thing in front of my face. And obviously, as we just talked about, I'm quite emotional at the moment. So I got really teared up watching it because I thought it was really nice. It was. So it's Robert Kardashian, Kim Kardashian's father, sending her a birthday message via the f- hologram what's technology. What's fucked about it? The funniest part about it is that Kanye got her dead dad to say you've married a genius I was like stop I did wonder if he was joking I wondered Mm. if Kanye was doing a little wink wink ha ha and everyone was like ha 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 I don't know either it's like like lively with the shoe photoshop I'm like I don't want to know I know we did a whole segment last week on how um Blake Lively's shoe <laughs> Photoshop wasn't very funny and how Blake Lively's so pretty that she's just been taught that anything she does is funny and doesn't have the barriers that everyone else in the world has to deal with. And then, then we, we cut it because we felt like bitches. We cut it because we thought you'd be angry at us. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone loves Blake Lively. It's not her fault. No. I, she's I, so I, attractive she's fun, that yeah. she's got like a subpar. You can't have everything. Yeah. Because, yeah, I don't think she's that funny. Ryan Reynolds is is funny. I don't like him as a human either. I, I don't mind Blake Lively as a human. I don't really like Ryan Reynolds for some reason. There's no, there's like no um, fact behind that. Yeah. <laughs> <So> just, <laughs> no reason. No reason. Um, yeah. But it was the shoe Photoshop thing. I mean, it made their post go viral, but no one was really talking about voting. Yeah. I'm, won- I'm wondering how effective all these celebrity vote things are if they're not just personal branding tools at this point kendall jenner for a halloween birthday i know i was like kendall we're not fucking buying this that your thoughty 
Halloween non-socially distanced party was all in the name of democracy. Yeah. No. Yeah. But the Kim Kardashian birthday party in Tahiti was pretty fucking hilarious. Her tweet where she was just like, I just wanted to fly yes. like 700 of my closest friends, family, <laughs> and a few professional photographers to a private island in Tahiti to pretend things are normal just for a minute. And I was like, shut up, Kim. I, I feel bad for her in the sense that I read Eva Wiseman did a column for The Guardian where she said that Kim revealed that her plan was to host a wild wild west themed 40th extravaganza that she'd been planning for a year and she had a bespoke Mugler cowgirl outfit and it was going to be this huge crazy cowboy party and she couldn't do it <laughs> poor Kim and I feel bad for her no you don't only get one 40th she can have that party anytime I don't think it's that bad that she went to a private island in Tahiti like I think you have to have a go at me for going to Puglia if you're going to have a go at Kim for going well, to yeah, Tahiti. Well, I, yeah, I, I feel the same. I wasn't, like, yeah. super mad about it. Because the thing is, is it's, like, this I don't is the thing. I think have addressed it. I think she Everyone's just, just getting gone. mad at everyone for doing everything. But mm-hmm. when you're doing things and you're doing them safely, like, they all got tested, I would say. Everyone gets tested in the US all the fucking time. Like, Kendall Jenner said that they all got rapid-fire tests before going to the party, and they probably did. Like, they would have. They would have yeah. just gotten rapid-fire tests. No one had COVID. They went in. That's why they didn't wear masks. But it just it just seems tone-deaf to fly. It's more it's more like the show the of wealth. The image. Yeah, yes. Than it is the safety thing. I agree. I agree. It's more just being like, I have so much money that I'm flying all my friends to a private island in Tahiti, and I'm going to throw it all over Instagram. Like... It's, it's strange that she framed it as, I just wanted to have a nice time. Like, you, you, you just go. And you're also in a mansion all the time. What's- and be shameless about going. I think that trying to justify it as, let me live, is what made people angry. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's like- what all the backlash was about. Because it's, it's funny that she was trying to say, just let me have a nice time on my birthday when she lives in a $40 million mansion. Yes. Um, and it's, and it's but more- she just went. I don't think people would care people would care yeah but she i think it's more the posting on instagram thing but then it's it's just like showing off your wealth when heaps of people are fucking like literally kim there's people that are dying yeah people are dying and people are sick and everyone's lost their jobs and she's being like flaunting around on an island maybe just go to the island and don't post it but then i guess they want to post physically could not do that she couldn't do it kendall jenner's birthday party there were signs everywhere saying no social media mm-hmm. take as many photos as you want just don't put it on social media and everyone would have been like shaking and sweating trying not to post it yeah. <laughs> and then they just gave up and then they posted it and then that made it, her birthday look so much worse because she'd obviously been trying to keep people from finding out about it but that's what i find funny about this whole thing is that if you found out if there was a report on e that kendall jenner had had a small 15 person 25th birthday where people got covid tests beforehand no one would care it's the image of everyone looking hot and young and like they're having fun when wait staff have masks on Mm. and the people at the party don't who are billionaires that looks awful. But having said that, I was really surprised that she had a party because you would never have one in the UK and the UK is not as bad as the US at the moment. Yeah, but oh, the, the US is different. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm actually unsure because the US, we have a rule where you physically can't have more than six people anywhere at any time. But yeah. they obviously must not because that didn't come up in anything I read. There's 100,000 cases per day in America at the moment. Surely that will get Donald Trump voted out. 
Everyone's talking about how sexy Zach's voice is. I know. I was like, Everyone, you horny little girls. I got one. I got a person <laughs> private message me on Facebook, being like, mm. "I need to address how hot Zach's voice is." <laughs> someone, um, someone, a couple of people have private DM'd us on Instagram, and I DM'd. Sorry, I DM'd one person drunk um, on Friday You're night. Like, Here's his number. No, from your from, <laughs> from your birthday, and someone had. I think we were talking to Zach about how everyone thinks his voice is hot, and I like opened a DM and just wrote back, "Yay." so sorry that was like a weird response to you but i couldn't i couldn't figure out what else to say i I keep drunk dming people and after work drinks stop doing it i know it's because i like get a bit excited when i'm drunk and when i'm sober i can't be bothered addressing any of the dms and then we um had another person write on our facebook page today saying um that zach sounds like chris hemsworth he's gonna get a big head guys he's already got a big head he's gonna get a bigger head yeah he was telling me off on um, Friday night for ringing the doorbell too many times. Yeah, I, I, I do, in his defense, want to go and like recreate what it sounds like. Because I don't <laughs> think you've heard the buzzer go off before. It's insane. It sounds like you're in a prison. Well. Should I go do it? No. <laughs> for the podcast? Yeah. And then we can address the elephant in the room, which is that I sound like Jessica from Love is Blind when I talk to Zach. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, hello, Zach. No, and you're like, like yeah. your voice changes. <laughs> Because your voice does change. My voice changes that. Yeah, yeah. But it's because you guys have your own. You have your own thing. It's not like you yeah. turn more girly or something. You guys yeah, just, just have, have a dumb like. You have your dumb. Yeah, you have like a dumb love language thing that's like quite hard to um, be involved in sometimes. <laughs> oh god, I don't even notice it. So no, it's cute. But um, you yeah, your voice changed heaps. I was like, this is so funny, but so cute. You you sound better when you talk to Zach because you sound more. You sound slower and more relaxed. And I was like, I wish I sounded like you too. Because when you two are talking, it's like quite nice to listen to. Yeah, but, I was like, we should have a spin-off, like a politics show that six people listen to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. No, you're not going to launch another no, podcast with Zach. I'm, maybe. <laughs> I'll fucking fire you. Um, I'll launch a podcast about yeah. music. We'll be his name. He'll be like, what do you think of this? And you'll be like... I don't fucking know. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um... Those two good pieces this week about pregnancy and miscarriage. So Chrissy Teigen wrote an essay for Medium. I oh, I was a fucking mess reading Were that. You? Yeah, I, I was mess. crying. Yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. And then Monica Ainley wrote a piece for British Vogue about how she had decided to keep her pregnancy largely off Instagram because she'd also suffered a miscarriage earlier in the year. And then obviously Emily Ratajkowski revealed her pregnancy on Vogue, which we knew about for fucking ages because of Dumois. Dumois. Oh, wait, sorry. Can on Dumois. Sometimes I'm unsure. Grace always tells me off about um, the stuff that I want to speak about that Dumois posts. Because yeah. It's all, um, be like, have you heard that blah, blah, like, um, <laughs> <laughs> murdered someone? There's all these like things that, um, I know, like, they're stupid. Celebrities are murderers. I believe everything. But um, anyway, there was one. Yeah, he's like, did you see how like um, Katy Perry is Jean Benet Ramsey? <laughs> I was like, no. I was like, that's Urban Myth is older than God's dog. I sent that to you. I never heard that. Um, why do people think that? This is dumb. It's literally stupid. She's like a similar age to what Jean Benet Ramsey <laughs> would be. It doesn't make any sense. Uh. But did you see on there that Katy Perry got kicked out of Christian? high school for humping a tree which is so on brand for her yeah and i thought that was just slanderous but it turned out she posted a picture of her report card that said katie has been expelled for humping a tree <laughs> she's like that girl that there was always just a weird girl yeah, at school yeah, that did yeah. Weird shit i like, like that. i like 
I like Katy Perry. No, same, but that's like on yeah, so on brand with her. her. On, but it's, it's the, the the kooky girl from school who was just kind of funny. And yeah, out there. Yeah, I find it quite funny how. A lot of people don't like her. I've always had a soft spot for her, though, because years ago when she first became famous, people used to say I looked like her because they think we're, we literally are the exact same height and for ages we were the same weight till I got um, fat. <laughs> I wish um, I felt like that about Taylor Swift because I used to get in high school, people, it was a weird thing that went through mm. other schools where it was like, Grace looks so good. This girl, Grace looks so much like Taylor Swift. Back when Taylor Swift had like a big round face and the yeah. ringlets. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't was- see it at all. People yeah. used to freak out about it. I'll find some old um, Facebook posts, which no one wants to see. So we were f- we were that, that uh, hasn't enemies heard for a while. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I've always had a soft spot for Katy Perry, and then I know that she's a bit weird and a bit annoying, and she and and stuff. But I, I I quite like her. I just like that she's I like that she does her own thing. I just feel like she's had a few um, pivots that haven't fully landed. Yeah, I don't. Like that she goes out with Orlando Bloom, but I don't know why I don't like it. When I was 11, I wrote a letter to Orlando Bloom and he <laughs> replied. What? Yeah, he gave me a signed picture of him. <laughs> what? That's true. You're looking why at me you like write a letter to him? I loved Lord of the Rings. Oh. oh, yeah, you love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and Pirates of the Caribbean. And I was like, Dear Orlando, I love you from Grace. And then four months later, I got a reply. That's. Really cute. So the only cute. person I've ever written a letter to that got a reply was Helen Clark, who was like the Prime Minister of New Zealand That's and not the only sorry. <laughs> Hedley Thomas from the teacher's pit. Hedley Thomas, the ultimate daddy. So there's a uh, new daddy. Th- okay, listeners, please. Where were we're, you when yeah, we needed you? We're angry at you guys. Hedley Thomas has released a new podcast for the Australian. It's different to no, the teachers. Nobody pet. told us. No one told not us. One, not one DM. My mum had to tell me. <laughs> Coral, of course. Yeah. And it's really, really good. I listened to it in three days. And it's probably You've also... you listened to part, the whole thing? I listened to the whole thing. And it's, it's only nine episodes. And it's yeah. really good, but trigger warning, right? Trigger... It's... uh Yeah, it's just about a woman that gets abducted. So it's just... It's just as awful as the teacher's pet, basically. But it's very, very interesting because he's just... I just love him so much. I just love how he... His voice is very hot. His voice is so hot, but he's also... He just... Sometimes he just gets stuck on saying something over and over again. Like, you remember the teacher's pet, how he would always be be like, the cicadas in the outback. He would say that every episode. And this one, he just keeps talking about a seafood shop. And it's just... It's just funny. And then he took his daughter, his 16-year-old daughter, who's an aspiring journalism student, to meet a known rapist to see how journalism is done. And I was like, Headley, that's... Unnecessary. He's a bit of a freewheeling hippie dad Mm. in that sense. Yeah, I wrote him an email. After the teacher's pet. So if anyone doesn't know, the teacher's pet was a seminal, important piece of podcasting that investigated the probable murder of Lynn Dawson... Lynette Dawson. Lynette Dawson and me and Izzy were literally obsessed with it and we used to talk about it all the time in really early episodes. Yeah, of it was I think it was like our first and second episodes of Afterwork Drinks. We were talking about the teacher's pet. Yes. So intensely. And then I um emailed <laughs> to just say that thank you for your work. I just got, I, I feel like I get Here's very my involved number. in Yeah, if you want a date. <laughs> I, I get quite involved in just I, I was like, I just want justice for this woman yeah. and the fact that he literally, so he basically, it was a 30 year old case. It was in Sydney's Northern beaches and Chris Dawson, her husband um, was a teacher. And basically he, her disappearance was super uh, sus. sus and 
Chris Dawson, her husband, had never been properly investigated for the murder. And Headley did all of this research, reopened the case, basically. And now Chris Dawson is on trial for her murder. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the podcast resulted in. It's fucking yep. crazy. And so I was just getting really involved. I was working at Marie Claire at the time. So I was writing heaps about um, basically all these women getting murdered. It was horrible. And I was constantly thinking about... Um, like domestic abuse and stuff because I was just having to write so many like intense stories and when that happened I was just like that's fucking amazing and I emailed him basically being like you are a king thank you for the king all that of you my do life. and then he replied with this really cute email reply him replying is so gorgeous but also so on brand like I, I can just see him sitting at night going through his emails being like I've got to reply to that lovely journalist at Marie Claire yeah yeah. We should try to get him on. He we should. He might come on. He might come on. He might come on. Let's oh, we do could it. do a little tile for him with a little disco ball. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to the pregnancy thing. But wait, we were on Orlando Bloom. Oh, yeah. God, we have so a what lot did of he steps. say to you? It was like, dear Grace, kind of guards Orlando yeah <laughs> literally um he obviously didn't do it he would have just signed a hundred yeah and i love how you and zach are obsessed with the fact that my uncle was an orc in lord of the rings i mean Izzy were at the port sea polo and we came home and we ordered an indian and we were like a little bit pissed laying on the bed in this really nice hotel watching the hobbit i don't remember that and izzy just turns to me and goes my uncle was an orc <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you and zach always talk about and it. i flipped the table in excitement yeah crazy can yeah. you spot him in it no at a push I don't like, know. Would you Maybe. find out which scene yeah, yeah, he's I can in? Find, you want me to find out? Maybe. I don't talk to him. He's a pedo. <laughs> but yeah. He actually is. Yeah. He is, he's a literal pedophile. My uncle, yeah. He's pretty, pretty fucked. And he was also an orc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was also an orc. Varied life. Oh, what a life. Um, okay, Orlando Bloom. Yeah, yeah, Katy Perry can do better than Orlando Bloom, but <laughs> it's happened. We just have to move on. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy announcements. So I think there's not that much to say about Chrissy Teigen and Monica Ainley, except for the fact that I really appreciate these women coming out and talking about something that's obviously incredibly common. Yeah, me too. Um, um, I, I think same. And I think I loved what that Chrissy addressed the fact that she was basically, she basically, wait, let me bring up the Medium article. God, did this article not make you cry? Did you read it? No. I mean, I, I read a big chunk of it. God, it was, oh my God, it was making me cry so much. So this, she said, she addressed people's backlash, which we talked about on an earlier episode about the fact that she posted photos of her in the hospital right after she'd lost Jack. And they're really intense. She's crying. She's in a hospital bed it's really hard to see but she did that to help her own grieving process and to help other women and also who fucking cares if you don't like it kind of thing and she said on the medium article i cannot express how little i care that you hate the photos how little i care that it's something you wouldn't have done i lived it i chose to do it and more than anything these photos aren't for anyone but the people who have lived this or are curious enough to wonder what something like this is like these photos are only for the people who need them the thoughts of others do not matter to me Yes, it's I like, remember reading off, that. Chrissy. That's cool. She said that. That's us reading our negative reviews. <laughs> like our <laughs> the thoughts of others do not matter to yeah. us. Let's you write a medium us. article about it. <laughs> yeah, um, I love Chrissy, and it's 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 a hard thing as well because she's now started posting back on Instagram and posting photos of them celebrating Halloween and getting mm. dressed up, 
and that must feel it's it's a grief is such a weird thing because you go through such you go through this roller coaster ride where some days you're feeling fine and so you post or you act normal or you talk to people normally and then the next day you're feeling horrible and people don't under it's really one of those things that you don't understand until you've gone through it for example i know people who've lost parents or like loved ones and then have posted hot selfies or things like quite soon after and i've been like oh and then mm-hmm. when my mom yeah. was in hospital i posted a mirror selfie yeah going to visit her in the icu because yeah. i liked my new jeans mm. and it's i just obviously at that moment felt completely fine and chill and non-plus to post yeah. that but i was still going through a hard time but it's but then later did you look back like i i did that when my dad was sick where i would feel fine or even like when me and Anton broke up and I was depressed I would feel fine one second and so I'd post something on my Instagram stories and even I had a fucking stupid friend stupid ex-friend be like I thought you were doing fine because you were posting on Instagram stories I was like get a grip yeah like no you know what I mean like yeah, yeah exactly because it, it takes it takes 30 seconds to post something on instagram it's not indicative of how you're feeling over the course of a week or a month or yeah whatever. and it can also help distract you as well mm. it's like a distraction technique um but yeah that Chrissy Teigen medium article sent me just <laughs> fucking sobbing Aww. um so m writer's pregnancy announcement in vogue not that much to say about it i found it funny the stuff she was saying about gender her having yeah she so she's not revealing the gender of her child and she wants her child to kind of grow up genderless and and then reveal their gender to the parents as they decide what their own gender is when they're adults yeah that's what i would do if i had a boy i would gender them a girl <laughs> I, I, I'm just like, I want a girl or a, a gay boy. Like what Mary Beth Verone said in her stand-up. It rings true for me. Yeah. She and Rada talked about how she freaks out. That- <laughs> it's so funny. when you're so funny. So when I read her article, I like read – this is this – is, we're going to get to a story by our friend Noelle very shortly, mm. which explains perfectly my – Your personality. My personality. <laughs> but – um. When I read it, I was just skimming over those parts. And then when you were retelling me them on your birthday, they were, they were just so much funnier. Yeah. So there's a bit, I'm, I'm intentionally paraphrasing. Cause yeah. I'm sure it's not as bad as this, but it's hilarious. Um, and then <laughs> she's basically like one night, me and my husband were sitting having dinner <laughs> and he said, aren't you worried that a girl would be so hung up by being your daughter? And she was like, I never thought about it before, but then I thought she might be. And I can't <laughs> help. No, yeah. Cause she's so hot. She's so hot. Basically being like, don't you think she's going to feel shit about herself? Cause she's not going to be as hot as you. And Imrata was like, Oh, maybe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> what am I supposed to do about it? I hope not, but maybe, I mean, I'm very hot. <laughs> I am really hot. Yeah. Wait, that's the thing that she says. I'll never let that be an issue, I tell my husband, but I can't help but worrying. <laughs> Me? When I have a baby? But then I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh. <laughs> I didn't think her marriage was going to last. So congrats. Yeah, I know. They got married. They, she broke up. Well, the last time she was seen with her ex-boyfriend was in February or something of 2000, maybe 18 or 17. Yeah. And then a month later, she married this Sebastian guy in a courthouse in New York. A month wearing later. Wearing a Zara suit. Wearing a Zara suit, which I quite like that she wore a Zara suit. No. 
And then <laughs> I I like it. I like that she wore a suit. I don't like that she wore a mustard Zara suit. Yeah. I mean, she obviously looked gorgeous. But she, they are still together. So congrats to them. Yeah. Congrats on your little muffin baby. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I would like to now talk about um, the fact that both of us have just self-diagnosed ourselves as having ADHD after we're reading our friend Noelle's story for The Guardian in which she says that she had no idea she had ADHD for her whole life until like last year. When, does, when was it? Like last year maybe? Yeah. Like last year when she went to – after she said she went to see a bunch of psychologists – with zero help, like she got nowhere. Then she went, had another burnout, two more doctors, a blood test, a hormone test, a three-month wait to see a psychiatrist, and another year and a half before she finally found out that she'd been masking severe ADHD her entire life. And this Mm. article is so incredible because it talks about how undiagnosed it goes for women because ADHD in men shows up in such different ways. It shows up as the boys being really disruptive in class, being really all over the show and um, loud and obnoxious and not being able to work. Whereas for girls, it shows up as us being um, quite perfectionist and um, working really hard and having like really massive creative spells and obviously being easily distracted and rah, rah, rah. But um, she, it took her to literally her thirties to find out that she'd been dealing with that her whole life, which had been making her um, feel at times, super burnt out, super overwhelmed, not mm. being able to focus, her energy's like everywhere. And I feel, when I was reading that, I was like, I feel the exact same way. And when I was younger, actually, mum kept trying to take me to the doctor. She was literally, mum was literally like, you have ADHD, you need to go to the doctor and get on medication. Because I was, I was, I was, I mean, I was kind of showing the boy symptoms, but I was like, even to this day, I can't focus on anything. Like, you know that. <laughs> we literally did an interview this morning with like the most interesting person speaking about a topic that I was really interested in. And I, and I had to actively keep saying to myself, listen, because like, why can't you listen? Why can't you focus on what this mm. person is saying to you that you're finding really interesting? If you mm-hmm. listened, you would learn. And instead my brain is like out the fucking window <laughs> thinking about nothing. Like it's actually insane. I would like to go and actually get tested because I would say that I would probably have it. Yeah, it's a, and it, the symptoms sound also very conducive with 
creative field. So the idea is people who are daydreamers or people who get lost in a fantasy land or people who are overly sensitive. And it is kind of that thing that I, I think it would be very common in our profession. And I definitely saw a lot of myself in what Noelle was writing about too, which has coincidentally gone quite viral. It's had all, over a thousand shares already and, and 200 comments. Two hours. It's been up for two hours. Yeah. And um, Noelle has been posting about how she's been like inundated with people sending her messages and kind of crying through reading this story that's made them realize something about themselves that they didn't know they had. She calls these like women who experienced this lost girls and it is kind of that thing about being quite chaotic yeah. <laughs> and really struggling to have like structure and order and to do things in a kind of sensible logical way which I think can very easily just be brushed off as being an artistic type or a creative type and that's why it doesn't get properly diagnosed yeah exactly we are such lucky girls and that we are actually friends with Noelle and she agreed to come on to the podcast today to talk to us about why it took so long to get the diagnosis that she had ADHD what the traits are in women and why it's missed in so many women. Um, And for women who may be thinking they now have it, AKA us, what the typical symptoms are that they should look out for, what happens when you're diagnosed, whether you go on medication, um, the difference it makes to your life and everything. So we're going to pass over to that interview now. Thanks for having me guys. um... Oh my God. We're so stoked to have you on. Yeah. We loved your piece. I, I have I feel like I have ADHD for sure. We both want to get diagnosed now because I think it's very like oh wait we'll get into the proper questions. <laughs> yeah, should, yeah, should I just ask, should I just ask the proper question? Okay. Yeah, we'll start the okay. interview properly. So you wrote in your piece for the Guardian, which everybody should go and read, and which we talked about on this week's episode, that it took you years and years and years for you to finally get to the diagnosis that you have ADHD. Why did it take that long, and what was the process like? Well, I, in short, the reason why it took so long is because I'm a woman, um, because we, as I like, as I said in the piece, is so many of us go undiagnosed and all the symptoms that um, appear in women with ADHD are just, you know, swept under the rug. Um, so for me, I, I just always, I always struggled with life in general and you know you just when something is when the struggle is so normalized for you you don't see it as an issue um until I was I was getting older and I was kind of you know I was overwhelmed all the time I was having so many meltdowns and you know you start to get I was like in my early 30s and you start to look around you and there's all these um you know, amazing women under 30 pieces and you're just like, how the fuck are these women doing all these things? And, you know, seeming, I mean, we all know that the seemingly have your life together is a little bit of a social media lie, but I was just like, life doesn't, It. how is it this hard? How is everything this hard? And I, then I was experiencing really, really bad burnout. And I mean, I would just collapse into a ball and cry and then I would have to sleep for weeks at a time and I I knew something was really wrong um so I went to I went to so so many doctors I had so many blood tests it went on for weeks and weeks and everybody was like oh you just need to take a break or you just need to you know um prioritize your time more or trying to give me all these things and not realizing that my 
internal monologue was just, you know, chaos. So after I was, I was just like at my wits end and melting down and missing deadlines and disappointing everyone around me and all my relationships were falling apart. And I was, you know, spiraling into um, just this black hole where from the outside, because I was still working because I had to, you know, survive. Um, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have known either because um, I was prioritizing work and, you know, that meant working until four in the morning, getting up at 10, working all day. And when I say working, it was still a struggle to be creative and write things and all that. So anyway, long story short, I went to um, doctors and psychologists and I got blood tests and all the things and none of it helped. And then I just asked for a, a um, ref- I went to a GP again, unhelpful and went and just asked for a referral to a psychiatrist. And it, I was in Australia at the time and a referral to a psychiatrist in Australia requires GP, um, a letter from your GP and quite often a really long wait time and it's very expensive. So I had to wait uh, three months to get in and then I had to pay $600 to see a psychiatrist. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. So, yeah, it's not yeah. easy. <laughs> it's really difficult. And, you know, again, I... I uh, not many people can afford six hundred dollars to go see a doctor to maybe get an answer to a problem they don't really know they have. That process of getting the diagnosis, I, as you said in the piece, and I can just imagine, was like really revelatory for you. What were some of the things that you kind of fell into place and started to make sense about yourself once you had someone explain what this condition was? Yeah. So I should also say, um, and this wasn't in the piece because I just. I didn't really have a word count to go into my crazy personal story because I wanted to really outline the symptoms. Um, But when I was younger, I was diagnosed with bipolar 2 by a GP, which I also found out later GPs aren't supposed to do. And it didn't really mean I tried like lots of medication. I was really depressed. I was, this was probably when I was in my twenties and, um, so this misdiagnosis is really popular and it's really not really, sorry, not really popular, really um, common for women with ADHD as well. Um, so I should also point that out that I had tried to seek help for depression and anxiety in the past um, that, you know, got me nowhere. So when I went to the psychiatrist and he was like, and I was like, you know, I've had depression and anxiety and I feel like I just, I was just like, I just want, tools i just think i feel like i need someone to tell me how to compartmentalize my life like i need someone to say okay noel this is how you focus on this one task for you know maybe more than half an hour or this is how you stop getting distracted or this is how you do things that maybe aren't exciting to you like you know your tax or creating a spreadsheet or just like this is and so i went there initially just going i need tools someone like how do you how do you someone teach me how to do this because I felt like I'd outsmarted psychologists that were like oh you're just not achieving the goals that you want in life or you probably you just uh, trying to be perfectionist and I was like no I, I I get the psychology of of it I just need someone to say to give me you know actual tools so mm. then what happened is the doctor asked me all these questions about my childhood and 
was like, what were you like in school? And, um, you know, how are you doing tasks? And I had so many stories that I, I know so many other women had as well, where we were told that, you know, oh, she, she was really good at this. You know, she had an amazing test result, but then seems to suffer in class or, um, you know, if only she applied herself or I had, I, you know, I had so many hobbies. I learnt to play three instruments, not very well, I'll add, but I knew how to play them. I, I did so many sports. I did, you know, four different types of dancing classes. I went to NIDA and I went to like community theatre and was enrolled in all these things because I had so many interests and showed interest in so many things. And it's like, I look back on it and I'm like, holy, like, how, how did nobody notice? And I was sitting there talking to psychologists and my mind was just exploding and the guys the psychologist the, sorry psychiatrist he's like looking at me going yeah yeah like I don't you've got a, he's like oh you've got ADHD like and no one has said this to you <laughs> oh that's funny because like what you're saying um about you as a child I was really similar but this is bad as well because my mum literally was like you you do have ADHD and tried to take me to get medicated. And when I was a kid, I was so worried about having something wrong with me or being on medication that I never got medicated. And then to this day, I still struggle with all of these things. And then your piece reminded me about all of it. I was like, God. I think like the, and if if anyone is listening to this that has had a diagnosis, the hardest part, and this is why the story that I, I, why I, this story I'd, I got messages from people that are like, why don't you talk about the tools that you have now? But I think what I wanted to write this story is I wanted to point out like how hard it is to A, get that diagnosis and how and B, how hard it is to deal with that because you look back on your whole life and you're like, oh, my God, like I've been failing with this thing that no one has pointed out, you know. Like what could my life have been if I'd gotten help early? Um, just what you're saying is, yeah, I got a message from a friend whom I, who I know, I know quite well. And she said, you know, Noelle, I was diagnosed in the 90s and I had doctors telling me I had ADHD. I had doctors telling me ADHD doesn't exist in, in little girls. And she's like, I've never told anyone because I was teased in class. I was teased by my family. And, you know, this woman is in her 30s as well. And she'd carried the stigma of being teased about it. So... It's, it's like damned if you do, yeah. damned if you don't. Yeah, and it comes back to the way that ADHD was framed when we were kids, which was always associated with troublemaker, disruptive, class clown boys in school. Yeah. At least that's how I think of it. And a lot of the way that uh, it tends to be diagnosed scientifically is to look at like very masculine traits that women just – because of the way women are socialized to kind of not be too loud or not interrupt or not be disruptive, they're not going to show the same symptoms. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and I was both, I was so disruptive. And I remember, (laughs) I remember asking, that's why my teacher was like, put her in, like send her to put her in classes at night or put her in the community theater because she has all this energy. And it's like, 
Yeah, I was the most disruptive person in class. Every single school report was as easily distracted. I had 1,000 trillion hobbies that I could never stick to. Um, and yeah, and even my mum picked it up and she was like, I want to take you to get medicated. And I was like, no, I don't want to be different. And then now, and then now I'm like, wow, I wonder, yeah, how different yeah. life could be. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, the other thing is it's so all around the world, it's very different for, you know, it's, it's so different if you're in the, in the UK or America or the US, I'm sorry, or Australia to get that treatment or medicated or to even know where to start. And Quite often Mm. GPs where, you know, which is the starting point, you have to go to a doctor to get a referral, at least in Australia. And I think in the UK as well, you have to buy, buy, go through someone who probably has no clue or was probably did their medical degree at a time when women were under-researched. You know, by the time we had our own study, I was at the end of high school. So that was just a, you know, a study on women on their own. So what chance did anyone my age or anyone that had, um, you know, gone through school in the 90s and the 2000s have if they went, their teacher wasn't up to date with with medical um, findings and the GP had not looked at any recent studies? Yeah. So you um, in the piece refer to women who are similar as lost girls. Um, so we just wanted to know if you could just explain what that means and kind of what some of the traits are that people who are listening should be looking out for? Well, I want to preface it with also the fact that um, I just point out that like so many of us right now know what it feels like for ADHD girls their whole life because all of us are frazzled and you know glued to screens and especially like as we're talking right now, the US election's about to go on and we all know that doom scrolling and just over stimulation of of um information at all times so like and that's what it feels like your whole life you feel like you are just being bombarded with um sensory flashes all the time and so you know the gen lost girls is um it's a term that's been used a lot in editorials and, and by experts talking about um adhd women and I guess it refers to just going through life feeling overwhelmed and like nobody understands you. And I I hate, I really hate the attention hyperactive deficit disorder um, name because I don't feel like it explains how it feels to be so sensitive to the world around you. You know, I, I'm, for me, it means like just being overwhelmed by information all the time. Like I, Anyone that knows me and has been to an art gallery with me will probably have watched me cry in art galleries or cry to music or in films that aren't even sad. I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm on a plane all the time. <laughs> like when, you know, watching things and you just get over emotion because you're so, so empathetic and so sensitive to the world around you. And it shouldn't be called ADHD. It should be called, you know, information overload sensitivity <laughs> because that's why that's, you go through mm-hmm. life just feeling like you want to know more about everything, but you don't know enough, but nobody understands you. So you just end up feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> oh my God, it's so similar. It, it, I remember hearing Florence Welsh talk about something similar and obviously she hadn't related it to 
ADHD disorder, but I remember her saying something we played in the podcast where she said, I just seem to not have this thing that other people seem to have where things, they don't feel things as deeply or mm. where things don't get to them as much. And me and Izzy were talking about how much we related to that. And it's, it's funny that yeah, that's kind of a, a symptom of it. Um, now, so now that you have been diagnosed, can you talk about um, how the process of diagnosis has changed your life and um, whether you went on medication or what the process looked like afterwards? Sure. So I, I what was really helped me was um, because I'm a freelancer and because I the things that I write about are often um, the, like this is the big benefit of my ADHD. It's not all bad, by the way. Um, it is you. It is a superpower when you you know. We as ADHD women, we have this. Well, as ADHD, anybody has you know the benefit of hyperfocus, which is when it's the flip side of you know in um, inattentiveness. It's where you can zone. You end up zoning in on something that you really love or really enjoy doing for a very long time. And that has helped me a lot in my work. And if anyone ever reads any of the deep dives that I do, um, you can probably, and you have ADHD, you will probably be able to tell because I have used my ADHD to my, to the benefit of my writing. So I want to say also that it's, um, it is like, you know, it, it can be a superpower, but knowing the diagnosis having the diagnosis just gave me so much relief because then I knew that I could look at the things that could help me. I could, I had something to, to spring off and step forward with. So saying, okay, I've got ADHD. It's the same as like, okay, I've got anxiety. I, I know I've got anxiety. I know what I need to do to keep my anxiety in check. I know what it feels like when I'm starting to feel anxious and you, you can recognize when your symptoms are going from good to bad. So for me, um, having that was a really amazing springboard. And um, I have been put on medication and, you know, medication is different around the world, but it did take me like, it took me six, it took me a good, it took me a good six months to get used to my medication as well and understand when I should take it what food I need to take with it, um, what time of the day, how much of it, that all those kind of things. And if anyone's been on antidepressants, it's quite similar because you feel really good in the beginning and then it kind of evens out with your brain and then, you know, the ADHD medication will quieten down your brain. So then there's a lot of getting used to, um, but it has, it has helped me a lot, especially because I'm stuck in another country and don't have my normal routines and I can't build those um, pathways with good habits. Do you want me to explain kind of the things that I have adopted though, the tools? Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would be great if that's okay. So there's, the things that have helped me are, I, just, I have to have just implemented things in my daily routine. So every night before I go to bed, I have a notepad and I write down a list of all the things I want to do the next day. And I have to do that at night because sometimes when I wake up in the morning, especially if I've checked my phone and doom scrolled on Twitter, I will get overwhelmed and forget what I have to do that day. So I do that. I also use post-it notes and I have as a visual board of, you know, what I'm working on or and I'll even do micro steps. So if I need, if I'm, you know, doing invoicing that day. I don't just have a post-it note that says invoicing. I'll have a post-it note that says 
invoice this person, send an email to this person, do this and really break down each step I need to do. And having that visual, um, that visualization in front of me and, you know, ripping the post-it off um, the wall or off my fridge or off, you know, the, my computer um, is really good because the other thing with ADHD is that we, um, we need dopamine and there's little hits of dopamine to really help us along the way. Um, so really, I've really managed to, I really micromanaged my goals of what I have to do to get through the day. But that doesn't mean I still, that's like, doesn't mean I'm succeeding all the time. That's funny because I do both of those things already. <laughs> like yeah. very, like I have to have, I literally have to have email Jeff's back, like invoice yeah. this person, and I have to write. I have a to-do list of every single day on my notes. Yeah, it's like, and, and the other thing that is a really helpful thing that I I recently discovered was, uh, monochromatic mode on your phone or grayscale mode on my iPhone. You can go into your ex- in accessibility settings and turn your screen to black and white, and that really helped because it took away um, and then you can also add a shortcut uh, where you press the side button on your iPhone three times and it turns the whole thing to black and white and that really took out the uh, the sensation of being on my phone all day and it made things like um, Instagram really boring to look at so that mm-hmm. helped me to put my phone down and that's not so doom good. scroll that's a great <laughs> idea it's like boring yeah. up your life <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, I do like I do with Instagram where I like cut my usage down to an hour a day and then always on like the seventh day I just gorge and have yeah. like a three hour session and then feel like I've done a bunch of meth afterwards and <laughs> cash out on the couch. It's so awful. Um, well, thank you so much for talking to us. Okay. I also want to say like there are a lot of if anyone is reading this and they don't know how to connect to women um, like us, there I really recommend, and again, like do put screen time on your phone because you will get sucked into a vortex, but um, resources that I found super helpful are um, Reddit, the ADHD Reddit, and there's also an ADHD women um, Reddit is that that's been amazing for me to figure out because also after my diagnosis, I flew to the UK and I've been stuck here for the last seven months. So I have zoomed with my psychiatrist once but I didn't actually have anyone that could that explained all this to me um properly so I had to find these resources so things like that really help you to see what other women are going through and also um women your women that are also adult um diagnosed women like of all um ages and experiences so that as a source has been amazing and um there's also a podcast by Kaleidoscope Society um, was also really helpful as well to just hear people talk about it. And there's also a book called The um, Neurodivergent Mind that was that I got as an audio book. Oh, also, that's the other thing. I have to buy books um, and have audiobooks because my brain can't process one or the other. That's a fun little thing you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's those kind of those resources have really helped me to understand myself and um feel that I'm not alone yeah that's thank you so much that's so interesting I'm like mind blown because yeah my attention span is so fucked 
it's <laughs> but we all are our attention spans are fucked at the yeah, moment like, like anyway like... so yeah <laughs> um okay should we turn video on and we can yes say goodbye properly right, i'm just gonna stop recording my my notifications and my um my insta like on everything are just like so overwhelming right now so overwhelming and um do you know what like i probably should have said this when you were recording um i found what i did find when i wrote the story for the guardian that was um, really comforting is you know obviously i had like the comments on that story are insane and i got very and it's so adhd because they're like you know five paragraphs long with and then someone at the end goes sorry for typos or sorry for the rant sorry for rambling and it's like oh my god you're so adhd and um but the thing with that that i learned with writing that piece was um how many women and men too have reached out to me how many women i know who have children that have been recently diagnosed um but also the thing that really like like have really affected me and I've been crying a lot. Um, I mean, who hasn't been like, if anyone's gone four days without crying, congratulations. Um, but I had a, an ex editor of mine, um, message me and say, and apologize and say, no, well, I'm so, I remember your meltdowns. And at the time I was a beauty editor and I used to go into the beauty cupboard at work and just cry. And just get so overwhelmed. I'd, you know, cry among the lipsticks and, you know, just spray perfume to make myself feel better until I had a headache. But she messaged me and was like, no, I remember working with you and your, and watching you melt down. And I'm so sorry. I had no idea of what to look for or what to go through. And the validation from an, a manager was meant so much to me, but I think, what I realized after just in the last 24 hours from this story was, you know, how, how important it is not for just, you know, people like us that have ADHD or have undiagnosed ADHD is how important it is for um, everybody to talk about the symptoms because it's not those boys that are just disrupting class. It's the professionals that look like we're doing really well, succeeding in life, probably, you know, achieving the goals we want, but breaking down and working until 3 a.m. to perfect, to make it look like everything we do is perfection. So, you know, having a manager say to me or an ex-editor say to me, I have, I don't, don't understand. I don't know. I can't relate to what you're feeling, but I remember watching it happen. And in hindsight, now I can see what that looks like and I think that's the biggest thing is all the stigma around it and none of it, with all these women and men and children that don't talk about how what they're feeling it just means that we'll continue to go undiagnosed because people don't know what to look for they don't know the signs and ultimately it leaves us not being able to get the help that we need I've not talked about on the podcast which is um classic us is Noelle was part of our mentorship program, which we talked about ages ago, and we've finally gone live with our website, which has a bunch of pieces published by new and emerging writers. So basically we did a call out in June or July to get, um, we wanted to kind of diversify the Australian and New Zealand media landscape because it is um, historically incredibly white. Um, and we just wanted to help with getting new voices out there. So we 
uh, got together a bunch of our friends, a bunch of magazine editors. Noelle was one of them. And um, they helped to mentor these young aspiring writers. And we've published the first lot of stories on afterworkdrinks.net now, which means that these writers um, have a published bit of work that they can then take out to other publications, um, which is massive in helping you get more work. Plus, we've already had massive Australian publications, like publishers, reach out to us and ask for the girls' personal email addresses to give them work, which is yeah. I'm quite proud of us about. We just forgot to talk about it. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. And I also think if you're listening and you know someone or you are someone who aspires to be or is an emerging writer who's interested in writing for us yeah we can mentor you tee you up with a mentor we can pay you for your work and you can get an essay published it yeah. can be anything from film, like entertainment celebrity film dating, music dating yeah, politics anything. anything yeah so we're taking ongoing pictures which is exciting and i um i there's nothing i find more rewarding than like the than the mentorship process with um my girl Jess, who wrote an incredible article about being Indigenous without looking Indigenous. Mm. She's Māori, and obviously so am I. And we um, met up when I was home in Auckland, which is really nice to be able to do that. We met mm. up in person and had a coffee and talked for hours. And then Jess wrote this really beautiful personal piece that's been shared hundreds of times. She got thousands of um, likes on her post, and she's also an illustrator. So she's done illustrations for our site, and um, she's now been asked by um, a massive Australian publisher to start writing for them. So it's very wholesome and and nice yes and all the essays are really great yeah they're so great read them yeah um okay should we oh, also we didn't publish an episode on saturday sorry but there's one coming this week yay yeah <laughs> yeah they but come when they come okay? they come when they come I think, i'm like i'm like very stoked that not one human messaged us about it i think everyone just understands our that chaotic our chaotic adhd personalities adhd personalities mm. um all right. So on Saturday. The conversation is really, really great on Saturday, actually. Yeah. It was it's um, a topic we wanted to talk about in this episode, but we're going to wait to talk about it with this incredible guest. And it's all about the Me Too movement in the Australian fashion industry, which kind of kick-started this week in a very small way. Our friend Mel wrote an amazing article for the Sydney Morning for Herald Sydney about Morning it. Sydney Morning Herald about some really brave... Um, People in Sydney who've spoken up against a serial, alleged serial predator, and it's kind of finally kickstarting this movement, but it's very difficult for it to take off. So we've interviewed someone who is the perfect person to talk to about and this exact topic. And you guys will topic. be obsessed. Cause and you'll be very you know excited to hear yeah. from her. So yeah. lucky you. <laughs> so worth the wait. Lucky you, lucky us. Uh, bye. Bye, guys. Don't review and subscribe. Positive things only. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.